Well, it's the first Sunday of the month, so what do we do? We look at our word for the year. So, would you open your Bibles this morning to Jeremiah chapter 6. We're going to actually look at verses 9 through 16, and I really had a hard time figuring out where to cut this off at, because there's so much for us to understand, so much history that's going to help with our text today. Now, if you go back to chapter 1 of Jeremiah, we're told that Jeremiah received his ministry in the 13th year of Josiah. Josiah is known as the boy king. He was made king at some eight years old. So we can timestamp his prophetic ministry beginning in 627 BC. He was also a contemporary of Habakkuk and Zephaniah, and he was followed after 50 years of ministry by a prophet named Ezekiel, who was actually among the captives in Babylon. Now this gives us an important time stamp in Israel's history, as the time of the Gentiles was about to begin, which began with the Babylonian captivity. And we know that uh, Josiah was the last of the Judean kings who sought to pull Israel out of idolatry. And this is recorded in 2 Kings 23, 19-25, where we're told that Josiah also took away all the shrines of the high places that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to what? To anger. And he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars and burned men's bones on them. And he returned to Jerusalem. Then the king commanded all the people saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had not been, never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. This was during the divided kingdom period. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household of gods and idols, all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem, that he might perform the words of the law, which were written in the book that Hilkiah the priest found in the house of the Lord. Now, before him, there was no king like him, who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to the law of Moses. Nor after him did any arise like him. Now, buckle up. You ready? You need to keep listening, and don't stop listening after the next thing I'm going to say here in a moment. The Bible says that under Josiah, Judah had the best administration the nation had ever had. He stood against the mechanisms of spiritual and moral wrongdoings in the country. He destroyed what the previous administration had built under 55 years under the wicked king Manasseh. And he respected and protected the ordinances of the word of God. He was the best king the southern kingdom had ever had or would ever have. However, none of the things that he did solved the country's problem. Because Jeremiah would report in 17, 9, and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Now, are you going to make a commitment to keep listening this morning? All right, here we go. You ready? Donald Trump is not the hope for America. 
Amen. Amen. He might tear down what the Marxist socialists before and after him are trying to do. He might be supportive of the church. You might think he was the best president we ever had. You might think he's the worst president we ever had. But let me just say this. His replacement is not the answer either. Because America's problem is spiritual. It's a heart problem. Now, keep listening. You committed to it, right? Does that mean we shouldn't be involved in politics? Absolutely not. People with a renewed heart and steadfast spirit need to be involved in every level of government. Does that mean we don't stand against the efforts to overthrow this country and make it socialist? Absolutely not. King Josiah died in the battlefield in the plain of Megiddo fighting against an Assyrian-Egyptian coalition that was trying to stave off the advance of Babylon. Now, Josiah said in his heart and mind, I'm sure, listen, we've already done the oppressed by the Egyptian thing. We're not going back there again. Now, even though Judah was defeated by the Assyrian-Egyptian coalition, that coalition was then defeated by Babylon because that's what God said he was going to do. And that was contributed to, in part, Josiah's efforts to fight against the Assyrian-Egyptian armies. Now, we're also told in Proverbs 29.2, when the righteous are in authority, the people what? Rejoice. Rejoice, but when a wicked man rules, the people groan. Now, life is certainly better when the righteous rule. Amen? Amen? And when the righteous rule, what our country and any other country really needs more than anything is our title this morning, and it is taken right from our text, and that is rest for our soul. Rest for our soul is our title this morning. Now, our text is very telling about the days in which we now live, even though the events recorded are from many ages ago. Now, what we're going to find this morning is the cause, the cost, and the cure for a nation of peoples who have gone astray. Has our nation gone astray? Now, it would certainly include ours, which has become so delusional. Our country has become so delusional. I can't even tell a boy from a girl. The American Medical Association came out on Friday and said we need to remove the box sex from all birth certificates. Why? Because that's a choice. You can decide whether to be a boy or a girl. I'm sorry, position 23 in the chromosome chain has already decided that. You're either male or female. All other categories are mutations and do not create other categories. You're either a boy or a girl. Right? That's how God sees it. That's how he started the whole thing. So, our text this morning is negative. Because the scene is negative. Our country's in a negative state. All our points this morning are going to be presented in the negative, but what we have to remember is that negatives all have an opposite positive. So, don't do the things that we're going to be warned of in our text this morning and do exactly the opposite. Somebody say, Amen. So let's jump in and see what Jeremiah had to say to a nation that had closed its ears to the word of God, having once followed it. Stand and read with me, please. Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 9 through 16. Jeremiah 6, verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They shall thoroughly glean as a vine the remnant of Israel, as a grape gatherer put your hand back into the branches. 
To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Indeed, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot give heed. Behold, the word of the Lord is a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary of holding it in. I will pour it out on the children outside and on the assembly of young men together. For even the husband shall be taken with the wife, the aged with him who is full of days. And their houses shall be turned over to others, fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the herd of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed an abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Lord, we say this morning, We will walk in it. We thank you that there is still a, a good way for us to follow. We pray that you would make that clear this morning where we live or when we live in a season of change that uh, all things have to be canceled out and history has to be rewritten and things forgotten and all these other things we see going on in our country and world today. So Lord, teach us how to live for you and to teach us what that means this morning through things we're not supposed to do as your children. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the first thing we need to draw our attention to is the opening line of verse 9, where the Lord introduces himself as the Lord of hosts. That word host can also be armies, and the Lord is the Lord of armies. Amen? And he is going to lead the Babylonian army someday against the nation of Israel because of the things we just read. And the Babylonians did exactly what the Lord said they would do. Now, he mentioned this back in Jeremiah 6, 6. For thus has the Lord of hosts said, Cut down the trees and build a mound against Jerusalem. This is the city to be punished. She is full of oppression in her midst. And this is exactly what history says happened. There was a siege against Jerusalem, and it was finally overtaken. Now, Jeremiah is talking to Israel. That's obvious. He's talking, or rather, to Judah, and that's obvious. And what the Lord said the Babylonians would do, the Babylonians did. But we also have to remember what the psalmist said in Psalm 33, 10 to 14. We looked at this on the 4th of July. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to what? Nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the what? Nation. Remember, that's the word goy, non-Jewish nations. Whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. God is not just the God of Israel. He is the God of all creation. He is the God of every nation. And God is against oppression anywhere. Not just oppression in Israel. Now, Israel is special and specific within the plan of God. 
but we're told here the Lord looks on all the inhabitants of the earth and his counsel stands over them all forever, including the United States of America. Now the Lord describes Israel as being gleaned like a vineyard at harvest time by the invading Babylonians who would utterly destroy Jerusalem. And they did carry away 10,000 of the best and brightest of Israel to, or of Judah to Babylon. Young men through whom the Lord would later write things like Daniel would prophesy and Ezekiel would prophesy were among that 10,000. We'll mention a few others in a moment. Now, the cause of this is revealed in verse 10. Their ears are uncircumcised, meaning they are closed off, and they cannot give heed because the word of God is a reproach to them, and they have no delight in it. Now, this isn't something that's exclusive to that era. People think the word of God is a reproach today. People don't have a delight in the word of God, by and large, in our world and country today. And it reminded me of what happened at the stoning of Stephen after he told the high priest and others who accused him of blasphemy for declaring that Jesus is the Son of God. He said to them, warming up the crowd, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears. That's what was going on with Judah. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus, standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Listen to the response of the high priest and those with him. Then they cried aloud with a loud voice and did what? Stopped their ears. They shut off their ears, ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. Now this is what was happening in Judah. The people had stopped their ears. They were persecuting the prophets. Jeremiah would certainly be included in that. And the leaders oppressed the people and led them to worship idols. Now, this is why the Lord directed the Babylonians to glean Israel like a grape harvest. Now, here's the cause of the immutable reality for any nation or person that follows the path of Judah and the leaders there recorded in Acts 7. Listen this morning. Again, we present them in the negative, but, but please keep in mind the opposite positive. Listen, the word of God cannot be rejected or ignored without consequence. The word of God cannot be rejected or ignored without consequence. Now, as Christians, our minds are obviously going to immediately go to rejecting and ignoring God's word and the consequence being eternity in hell. Hell is not a state or a mental condition or emotional state. It is a literal place. It is a domain of the unbelieving dead forever and ever and ever. And the Bible describes it as a lake of fire. But we also have to remember that there are lesser consequences during this life and the cause of them. Just think about this this morning. I've painted this picture for you before, and it's appropriate to re-mention it now. What if the world obeyed just one of the Ten Commandments? What if every single person on the planet obeyed just one of the Ten Commandments? Would it be a different world? Yes. Absolutely. 
Think about it. You don't even have to pick all 10 for it to change the world. Imagine if nobody ever told a lie. Gosh, you could go back to watching TV, couldn't you? Or the news, I should say. What if nobody ever stole anything? What if no one coveted? To say nothing of a monotheistic world where everybody worshipped the true and living God. Would the world be a different place if only one commandment was obeyed by everyone? Yes. Certainly, it would change the whole globe. Now, in Psalm 19, 7 through 11, one of my favorite passages King David wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit, where in all of these words, the law, testimony, statutes, these are all metaphors for uh, the Word of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making the wise simple. The statutes of the Lord are what? Right. right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More, are to, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. And in what? Keeping them, there is great reward instead of consequences. Amen? Amen. Now, I like to listen to uh, some of the opposing team sometimes, not in the spiritual realm. I don't ever listen to false teachers. But I like listening to uh, some who are on the other side of the creation-evolution debate. And lately I've been listening to Richard Dawkins again. I've heard much of what he has to say. But I've been watching some of his more... Uh, current nonsense. That's exactly what it is. And one particular video I saw, he gave his reasons why he doesn't debate creationists. And he said that would be like a geologist debating a flat earther. He said, or that would be like an OBGYN debating someone who believes in the stork story of how babies get delivered to their homes. Well, I was thinking after he said that, that's exactly how I feel about him. Because I would not want to spend any time debating someone who believes that nothing can create everything. Because the empirical scientific evidence says nothing doesn't exist. By definition, nothing can't do anything because there isn't anything for nothing to do. I don't even know what that means, but I hope it made sense. It makes about as much sense as his argument that nothing created everything. It didn't happen because it couldn't happen. Listen, if you apply the principles of the Bible, the predicted results are going to come to pass. Don't lie in your life and all those who know you is going to be a better life. Don't covet and the world is going to be a better place. Worship the one true and living God and all of the world is going to be at rest like never before. Now, you cannot reject or ignore the Word of God without a cost, which in and of itself proves that the Bible is true. If it says, don't do this, reject God's Word, close your ears to it, there are going to be consequences for it, and when you do, there are consequences for it, right? Judah had some of the consequences recorded for us here through Jeremiah, and they were national and they're personal. And we'll find them in verses 11 through 15, where we're told of how uh, the Lord dealt with Judah through the Babylonians. He mentions he's full of fury, weary of holding it in. He says he'll pour out on the children outside and on the assembly of young men together, for even the husband shall be taken 
with the wife, the aged, with him who is full of days, houses turned over to others, fields and wives together. For he, the Lord, is going to stretch out his hand against the inhabitants of the land. Now, there's a lot to consider, but in summary, we need to note that the Lord is speaking specifically of the Babylonian captivity. The details of the consequences make a point that we're going to arrive at in a moment. Now, Jeremiah writes that because the people take no delight in the word of God and see it as a reproach to the point that they won't heed it, the Lord says he's filled with fury and he's weary of holding it back. I am so thankful for the long suffering of God, aren't you? I'm glad that he is patient in ways that you and I in our finite thinking cannot even understand. And I'm finding out uh, more and more just how long-suffering God is as time advances and our country goes crazy. He then says the scope of his judgment is going to be all-inclusive. It's going to include the young and the old, individuals and families, property and possessions. And all this is going to impact all the inhabitants of the land because all of them have become covetous or self-absorbed. This parallels exactly what uh, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5 records of the perilous times of the last days. He also says, this has happened to the spiritual leaders, the prophets, and then he says, even the priest, everyone deals falsely. Do we have those who stand behind pulpits today and lie? <laughs> Tell fabrications and fables, all kinds of things. Jeremiah goes on to say that the falsehoods of the prophets and priests include saying peace, peace, where there is no peace. He says this healed them slightly. And what that phrase actually means is he made them feel better. The priest made them feel better about their sinful state without even changing it. And then Jeremiah said through his rhetorical question, these people knew no shame when they committed abominations and didn't even know how to blush or how to be ashamed. And they therefore will fall down with the rest who do the same and be cast down. Now, these are the costs, or these are the consequences of rejecting and ignoring the Word of God. And that means the reverse might, must be true as well. If we do not reject or ignore the Word of God, then instead of consequences, there are blessings. Amen? Amen? That's what we find in the preface psalm, the very first psalm written by King David. Six verses long, David paints this picture of contrast. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in what? The law of the Lord, the word of God. And in his law, he meditates occasionally when he has time to squeeze it in. No, in his law, he meditates day and night. Here's the end result of such a life. He shall be like a tree planted by rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall what? The prosper, now the contrast, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall what? Perish. Perish. And this is what Jeremiah is going to say in the solution to the problem that we'll look at again in 16. Now, look at the contrasting life experiences based on where you receive your counsel and where you sit or stand spiritually. Now, here's our next negative point that has an opposite positive truth, and it's just this. Listen, rest and peace will never be found through disobedience. Rest and peace will never be found through disobedience. Where's the amens? Amen. 
rest and peace will never be found through disobedience. Here, Jeremiah addresses the national disobedience of the southern kingdom and how the coming captivity affects people of all ages, including husband and wife, the aged in verse 13, as from every station in life. Now, I couldn't help but think of our message from two Wednesdays ago as we looked at the final stage of church history through the church of the Laodiceans. Now, their particular self-evaluation was one of being rich, wealthy, and having need of nothing when Jesus said, actually, your spiritual state is the opposite. You are poor, miserable, wretched, blind, and naked to your actual or blind to your actual condition of being naked. Now, here Jeremiah says, the message from the prophets and the priests of peace, peace, when there is no peace, created a false sense of security in the midst of their sinful ways. He says it healed their hurt slightly, and slightly means a trifling. In other words, they were just a minuscule peace that they had because the prophets and priests were telling them, hey, everything's okay God loves you just as you are. You don't need to change. We're the chosen people of God. Good thing none of that's going on today, right? <laughs> now, Hebrews 4, 1 to 7 tells us, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his what? Rest. Let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they, the generation that died in the wilderness, shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. In other words, they could have had rest. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of what? Disobedience. Disobedience. Disobedience never leads to rest. Again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not what? Harden your hearts. When you reject and ignore the word of God, the cost is a hardened heart and a forfeiture of rest and peace. Turn your ears off to the Word of God and have no delight in it, and you will have exactly what we have today. A world and a nation in rebellion living in complete unrest. Now Ephesians tells us in 425 to 32, Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. Now that in and of itself tells us we shouldn't look anything like the world. The church shouldn't look or be anything like the world. For we are members of one another. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Or in other words, keep a short record. Resolve matters by the end of the day. Nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him what? Labor. Labor working with his hands what is good. So that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, the building of others up that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not what? Grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, redemption of the body. 
Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice or evil intentions, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave who? You, us. Now Paul would also say in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are, what's the next phrase? You're not your own. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Now Judah had a false sense of peace, and they had lost the ability to blush or to feel shame. And it all stemmed from rejecting and ignoring the word of God. And Paul tells us that continuing in the things that Jesus died for grieves the Holy Spirit in us. And he reminds us through 1 Corinthians that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Can you grieve the Spirit and still have rest? Can you grieve the Spirit and still have peace? You can know that you're still saved, right? Thankfully, we don't lose our salvation uh, when we sin after we're saved because we'd all be going to hell. Right? But listen, when disobedience becomes our practice, we grieve the Spirit and our sense of peace and rest is gone. Now, this is something we should actually be thankful for. Right? Because we shouldn't hear messages of peace, peace when there is no peace. And when we are at odds with God or practicing and defending the very things that sent Christ to the cross, we're not going to have that sense of peace. And listen, when you lose the ability to feel shame for your disobedience, according to what we see here, trouble's coming your way. Because the Lord disciplines those whom He loves. Amen? And scourges every son whom He receives. Now, thankfully there's a cure for disobedience. and the unrest and lack of peace that comes from it. And we'll find it in verse 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, Nope, we will not walk in it. Found an interesting quote from the first inaugural address of President Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He said, the United States has lost its way. He said, we don't know where we're going, but we are on the way. <laughs> it's kind of like the old saying, I might be lost, but I'm making good time. <laughs> now, Judah had come to a crossroads point in their history, as has our nation today. A choice in direction had to be made by God's people. And a choice has to be made in our country and in the heart of every individual today. Which path are we going to take? Now Elijah put this before the people in 1 Kings 18 to 21, where he came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if they all, follow him. But the people answered him what? Not a word. Well, we know what their answer was. Now, when you come to a crossroads and don't know which way to go, the best thing to do is what most men never do, and that is ask for directions. Now, Jeremiah says to Judah, and I believe that God is saying to America and any country, and especially countries where the people once sought hard after him, ask for directions to the old path, where the good way is, and the elusive rest for your souls you're looking for is going to be found. Now, we have to understand in a pedestrian society, the old path would indicate the path traveled by many others in the past. It would be a well-worn 
and proven best path to a desired destination. In other words, it would be the good way, be the best way to get where you're wanting to go. Now, Psalm 119.1, the longest uh, psalm in the Bible, tells us in its opening verse, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, when your desired destination is rest for your souls, there's only one path. And it is the good way. And the good way is always God's way. So let's make our final point, which is actually the cure for the two things we've talked about. And again, it's presented in the negative, but it points to the positive. Listen this morning. There is no new path to find rest for your souls. Plain and simple. There is no new path to find rest for your souls. Now, Jeremiah was telling Judah, get back to following the word of God, the good way, the path to the rest you all need, instead of giving this false sense of peace that you have while living in unrepentant sin. Now, we're constantly being told today about how wrong the old path is. And many are saying today, we're not going to walk in that. It's antiquated, it's outdated, it's irrelevant, it's culturally insensitive, and all the other things that we're hearing today. And let me ask you, is our world and country showing the consequences of such decisions? Yes. Is our world and country paying the cost for rejecting and ignoring the Word of God? Yes. Now, here's the point. Is the majority opinion affecting the minority as well? You and I. Absolutely. Now, the same was true with Judah. Men like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. You probably know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we're not going to use their Babylonian names. We'll use their Hebrew names because they were Hebrews. They were impacted by the rejection of the old path by the masses, and yet... They stayed the course, even in captivity, which was the judgment of God on the southern kingdom of Judah. But listen to this. In Daniel 1.8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Then in chapter 3.14-18, to 18, we're told Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready at the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, harp, lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered the king and said, Oh, nebby, nebby, nebby. <laughs> we have no need to answer you in this matter. If that's the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. Now listen, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you. If the fire kills us, we're still not going to worship your image of yourself, which you have set up. Now, Daniel 6.10, we're told. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, the, the customary prayer posture for the captives in Babylon, he knelt on his knees three times that day, prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since when? His early days. Remember, Daniel was about 17 when he was taken captive. Now, listen close. 
when Daniel refused to violate the kosher diet, that he and all the Jews were required, according to the law, to follow. At the end of the 10-day test period that he requested of the chief eunuch, the chief eunuch came to inspect those who ate of the king's delicacies and those who did not. And he, Hananiah's, Mishael's, and Azariah's features were fuller and fatter than those who ate of the king's delicacies. Listen, when Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah refused to bow to Nebuchadnezzar's golden image of himself and got thrown into the fire, the Son of God walked in the middle of the flames with them. And when they came out, their clothes didn't even have the smell of smoke on them, nor was their hair even singed. And listen, when Daniel refused to pray to the king and obey the decree that the satraps and the governors coerced the king into signing in hopes of trapping Daniel according to his religion, he wound up in the lion's den. And you know what God did? He shut the mouths of the hungry lions, and it was the king who couldn't sleep all night, even though Daniel was the one who was in the lion's den. Now, we know they were hungry lions because the satraps, the governors, and all their families, when Daniel was pulled out, they were thrown in, and they were immediately consumed before they even hit the bottom of the stairs. Now, listen, here's the point. The old path may not include all the world's delicacies, and there may be the occasional fiery furnace and lion's den, but the old path also includes divine intervention. The old path also includes miracles. The old path also includes rest for your souls because it is the good way that honors and pleases God. And I'll take that over unrest, captivity, and delusion any day of the week. <clears throat> rest for the soul cannot be found through disobedience. Because the word of God cannot be rejected and ignored without consequence. We hear a lot about change today and new paths today. But when your desired destination is rest for your souls, there is no new path. There's just the old one. And it is the good way because it's God's way. Amen. Now, the following verses tell us. Also, I set a watchman over you in Jeremiah 6, 17 to 19 saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, they've already said we're not going to walk in it. Now they say we're not even going to hear it. Therefore, hear you nations and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth. Behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but what? Rejected it. Now listen, I, I get this question all the time. And uh, Amir gets it too. I think anyone who focuses on Bible prophecy is always asked, why isn't the United States in Bible prophecy? Well, I think the answer is because we're headed for calamity. Because of what's going on in our country. And we need to remember that while Judah and Israel were the chosen people of God, the consequential wrath of God was true for them and applies to any nation. It's also known as the universal law of sowing and reaping. We will reap what we have sown. Yes. Is that true? Yes. It's a biblical truth. No question about it. So here's the question. Can a nation kill 70 million unborn children? Be the world's leading producer and exporter of pornography? And home to the largest customer base for the sex trade industry and do so without consequence? Absolutely not. But remember, while all this is going on, we could be like Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah 
And we might be like them, experiencing the sorrows of the national consequences on our nation, but God is still for us. And He will still protect us. And He will still provide what's necessary for us because He who promised is faithful. And through Him, we can still have rest for our souls. Somebody say, Amen. Amen. And Father, we are grateful for Your Word this morning. And thank You for this reminder, Lord, through this uh, sad story in the history of Judah. And yet, Lord, we do know that the outcome was positive because after the Babylonian captivity, your people never returned to idolatry. So, Lord, we ask today that we would all learn not the hard way or the difficult way, but we would choose the old path in our own personal decisions and certainly that our nation would once again return to the things that made it great and caused you to bless us like no other nation in the history of the world. Lord, we know that the last days says that uh, your word says the last days are perilous. And Lord, we see no evidence of these uh, United States of America in Bible prophecy. And Lord, we pray, as is often prayed, that the reason that we're not in prophecy is because the rapture cleans this country out because so many are saved. So Lord, we know that it will be as it was in the days of Noah. The earth will be exceedingly violent. The thoughts of men's hearts only evil continually and the impending signs of judgment will be largely ignored. But Lord, we want to open our ears to your word. And help us, God, in these last days to be the Daniels, the Hananias, the Mishaels, and Azariahs, and the Ezekiels of this day and age, which the majority says, no, we're not going to walk according to your word. And they're stopping their ears to even hearing it. So Lord, help us to be bold. Even though we may not enjoy the delicacies of this world, like others do, and even though there may be the fiery furnace experience and the lion's den too, help us, Lord, to trust you all the way through and walk with the rest in our souls that you've given us. We thank you for our time together today. Lord, I pray for those who are battling COVID, not just in our church, but around our country. I pray you put your hand of healing on them and that, uh, Lord, uh, they would rise up from the bed of affliction and uh, like the man in Acts chapter 3, that they would go their way leaping and praising God. So we thank you, Lord, that we can come to you as the great physician and ask for healing, and we do so now. Help us, Lord, uh, to be part of the healing of our land uh, as well by speaking the truth in love. And we give you thanks for our time in your matchless word. And all God's people agree by saying, Amen. Amen.